All right, so uh, let's just say, say thanks to all our volunteers. We really appreciate them. Let's bless them with some applause. Now, J JT and Carol are right over here, so you can just thank them, too, because they're pretty awesome for being in that video. So thanks for your testimony. Well, as we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for a moment where we can open the truth of your word and let it influence our lives. And we pray that that would happen today, that you would, you would just take the incredible wisdom and power, uh, all of what you poured into the word, and you would pour it into us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we were, ta we're talking about the word steward, and it's not a word that we're using a lot these days, I don't think, in terms of our culture. Uh, but, you know, to steward, it means, it means very specifically that you're managing something. So let's look at this basic definition. You can fill this in on your sermon notes card, these fill-in-the-blanks. A steward is one who manages the gifts from God, the gifts from God for the mission of God. Now, uh, two things should jump out at you really quickly here. First of all, what gifts are we talking about? You see... Here's what the Bible says. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. That's in James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift. So that means for us, every, every heartbeat, every breath, every skill, every talent, every blessing, every dollar, every resource that we have, these are gifts from God. And they're gifts from God that we are to manage for the mission of God. And so the challenge for us has been to, to, to really look and examine how can we be better at stewarding those gifts. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge that the Christians face, have faced from the beginning of Christianity. The, the reality that God chooses us. He chooses to use our resources as a part of his mission. Now, I want you to think about the mission of God for a minute. What is the mission of God? Well, I like the way Timothy talks about it. 1 Timothy 2.4, he says, the writer Paul says this, he says, God desires all people to be saved. And, and the reality is that not all people are saved. Now, there's a tension there for me. What makes the difference? God chooses to use us as his church, as his people, as a part of the plan of salvation to present to people, to have influence in their lives. To come, as the verse says, to the knowledge of the truth about God. The truth about the reality of our sin problem. And the truth about the, the solution to that problem through Jesus. The only solution. The truth about the new identity that we have now in Christ. And the wonderful plan that God has for each of us to be a part of his work on this planet. The truth about the power of the Holy Spirit that works in our hearts and lives to give us the ability to do that work so that we can look, live, and love more like Jesus. It's our mission, right, as a church. That's what we're supposed to be about. And we're stewarding the gifts from God for the mission of God. And we looked in the first week, we talked about this word priority. You know, that, that, that it has to be something we we don't set aside over here that we keep it front of mind. We keep it up here in front of us all the time. You know, the sports teams often will, you know, they'll, they'll chant after winning a big victory. They'll say, we're number one. We're number one. We're number one. Guess what? We are never number one. We are always number two. 
Because the priority in our life is God and his mission. As followers of Christ, and, and it's our challenge in our stewardship is to make sure we don't allow anything else to take the place of God's priority, his mission. Now, last week you talked about the idea of intentionality, which means that when you take priority, if you make this a priority, being a steward and you are intentional about it, that you're making decisions every day to manage those gifts. That, that you have a plan, that you understand where you are and where you need to grow. And if, you're, if you have a priority and you're intentional about this stewarding of the gifts of God, if you do that, something amazing happens. And this is why God invited us into his mission. Because he wants us to have influence in this world. He wants us to be able to make a difference in this world, to influence a dark world, to influence a world who doesn't know the truth of God, to influence people who are not being saved so that they might come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. This is the influence that he's asking us to have in this world. So let me ask you today, are you a person of influence? What do you think? Are you a person of influence? Now, for me, personally, I mean, I would say, always, I would defer and say, no, not me. I'm not a person of influence. That's for the powerful people. That's for the rich people, the talented people, the famous people. Those are the influences of our culture in our day today, right? See, influencing is an incredibly difficult job. I don't know if you've noticed that. Because here's what an influencer does in our culture. This is what an influencer should do according to God. An influencer affects the beliefs, the behaviors, and the character of other people, of another person. Are you an influencer? Am I an influencer? The question, of course, is yes, but it depends on how you're influencing, right? In other words, God has an expected end. He has a truth that he wants to reveal, and he's chosen to, to do it through us. It's just an amazing moment when you realize what happens in the life of a believer when God says to us, you are my child, and I want to use you. I want to use your gifts for the purpose of my mission. You know, uh, influencing, as I said, it's really, really difficult. It's challenging. If you've ever tried to change your behavior, you know that. Like, how do you influence yourself? But, but it's also, if you've ever tried to change somebody else, and you, finally you probably give up, and at least I did, like, I can't really change you. But you know, I remember the changes that I went through when I came to Chicago. When Susan and I moved here in 1983, I mean, we really, we really went through a culture shock. And for those of you that live in Chicago your whole life, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But if you've ever lived anywhere other than Chicago, you know, we lived in a small little town in Missouri. And so my first job, my first real job, this is what I did. I drove around in that truck in my blue jeans and T-shirt, right? And I worked on things outside, and it was, you know, it was real relaxed. And, you know, it was just, it was like rural America, that's where we came from. That's where Susan and I came from. <laughs> no comments, Jonathan, no comments. But this is my life. And now all of a sudden, I get up one day and I go to a train to get to work. 
and I ride downtown to this office building, the Amico Corporation. You know, it's just kind of an amazing moment for me because I'm going, what the heck just happened? Here I am in Chicago. And, you know, it's funny because immediately that organization tried to influence me, right? They tried to shape me. Have you ever noticed that? How, how there's an expectation? And I was pretty far away from their expectations, I'm afraid. The first book they gave me was this one. I think I might have forgotten a few chapters already. I don't have my power suit and power tie anymore, right? And, and then they gave me this book, and they said, you know, you need to learn how to win friends and influence people. And so all this pressure from the outside was trying to change me. You know what I realized? Is that it doesn't work. It doesn't change me. I, 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 I push back. I'm rebellious. It didn't change me. And I realized, because Susan and I got involved here at Trinity in 1983 in a small group. And you know what was planted in our hearts at that time? The seed of the Word of God. I realized that I needed a different book if I really wanted to change. I needed this book. I needed, I needed God's Word to go to work in my heart, not to change me from the outside in, but to change my heart, to grow in my heart so that, that my beliefs... My behaviors, my character would change. And so, see, God wants to influence us. And he has a pattern, a way to do that. And, and, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, I thought we were talking about stewardship here. Well, see, stewardship starts with what God does in your heart to influence you. He has a plan to change us first before we worry about how we respond. Mark chapter 4, uh, Jesus speaks of this plan, and he, he tells this parable about the soil and the sower and the seed. And it's interesting because, you know, he, he says about this parable, it's the most important parable in the Bible. He says, if you don't understand this about who I am and how it works, how God changes people, then guess what? You won't understand anything that I teach. And so Jesus starts, he says, the farmer sows the word. You see, the word of God is a seed. Seeds are amazing things. If you think about it, they contain life. Do you know everything on this planet starts with a seed? Everything. Even an idea is first a seed. And the word of God is a seed. Now, seeds are great things, but if I want tomatoes in my backyard. I can't leave seeds on the shelf in the garage, right? Obviously, where do they have to be? They have to be planted. God's word is a great and wonderful thing, but it has to be planted. And there's activity and work and resource required to move the seed into the soil of a heart. And he describes that Jesus describes that, and he says, you know what? You plant, you plant regardless of what kind of soil you have. Knowing that for, for some people, that seed of God's word will hit that soil, and it'll never, ever take root. Or it'll take root for a while, and it'll die. But he says, sometimes, sometimes, very important to understand, when that seed is sown, it will grow and reproduce. It will multiply. 
It'll be, it'll be one seed will grow and create 30 more seeds or 60 or 100 full of what was sown. And that's what we call the law of multiplication. That God's word multiplies things in this world. And you might be wondering, like I said, it's like, okay, well, I thought we were talking about money today. <laughs> well, we are. Because here's, here's what we know from Scripture. Paul uses exactly the same seed analogy to talk about money. There's a direct relationship to our capacities at church to sow seeds into the life of people and our generosity. See, we can't do the ministry. We can't do the seed sowing. We, we have the seed. I mean, we got, everybody's got a Bible, but we have to sow the seed into the lives of people. And that takes resource. And so when Paul writes about an offering that he's going to collect... He uses this exact same concept of seed sowing to describe it. So let's just take a look at just a few verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, so that we can understand how he describes this process of generosity. He begins like this. He says, look, remember this. I like that, you know. Pastors love it when you remember stuff, so remember this, right? You know, you, you, this is important. Paul's saying, hey, this is really, really important. Don't, don't miss it. And it's real clear, real simple, basic farming here or gardening. You know, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And then whoever grows generously or sows generously will reap generously. Very simple, very easy to understand. Now, here's the problem. A lot of people use this verse today to say, well, you know, if you give a dollar, you'll get 10 back. That has nothing to do with that. What we're, what we're sowing and, and reaping is not our own finances here. What we're sowing and reaping is God's word and the harvest of righteousness that comes from it. But sowing takes resource. We have to have, as a church, we have to have the capacity to plant seeds. And so there's a connection here. And, and, and so the first thing we need to, to realize is that there's a choice we make. We can sow a little or a lot. It's a choice. And he wants us to know that. Paul wants us to know that. Because and, and so often when, when we start talking about money, it feels like, oh, somebody's trying to compel me to give. And Paul says, no. I, I refuse, Paul says, to give you a number. He, does, he gives no number here about what you should give percentage-wise. He moves giving from, from the, the law the law. You know, this idea that you must do these things to grace. Now, why does he do that? As we'll see. Why does he do that? Because Jesus, did he, did he give you 10%? No. He gave you 100%. And so, so here's what we have to do. As, as believers, we have to ask ourselves, how do we determine how much we keep for ourselves and how much we sow into the ministry? The, the mission that God has called us He's called us to participate in. And it's a decision that we each have to make. How do you make that decision? How do you do it? I mean, it'd be great if somebody could just tell you, oh yeah, this is your number, this is your number, this is what you should get. And Paul doesn't do that. He won't do it. This is what he says. Look at this verse. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There it is. That's how you determine it. But look at the verse carefully. There's freedom and there's joy in giving. 
And if there's not freedom and joy in the giving, then that's not for you. He's saying, look, when you begin to consider the 100% that Jesus gave you, the 100% that he gave you, when you consider that, it should, first of all, and foremost, and, and, and as a requirement, it should make you very joyful. That's where the joy comes from. And, and, when, and God loves a cheerful giver because he knows a cheerful giver gets that, understands that, and sees the reality of what Jesus has done. And he, God loves all people. Don't get that wrong. Don't read that wrong. But he's saying, God delights in a person who says, I have joy because of what Jesus did, 100% offering that he gave me of himself. And he says, hey, now you get to decide in your heart, what do you give? You know, it would be so much easier if he just gave you a number. But here's why. Because, you know, Jesus wants a relationship where he's talking to you all the time, where you're making day-to-day management, stewarding decisions about how you allocate resources. He wants that kind of closeness in your life where he directs and guides and, and, and gives you the kind of information you need because guess what? You don't know your future, but he does. And when you make a financial decision, he wants to be in that because he knows your future. And he knows how to make things work out, but not under compulsion or reluctantly not arm-twisting, not, not guilt-producing. That's not the motivation for giving. It's the joy of salvation of the 100% that God has given us through his son, Jesus. This next verse shows how he knows our future. He knows what he can do to bless us as we make that choice, as we work with him to make that choice of how much to give. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly. Super abundantly is that word. It's like overflowingly abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. Pay careful attention to this verse because it doesn't say to get whatever you want. It says to get whatever you need. And it doesn't say to get whatever you want to do with whatever you want to do with it. It says to do the good work that God has designed from the beginning of time for you to do. Ephesians 2.10. You're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good work that God has prepared for you in advance. That you might walk in that every day intentionally as a priority so that you can have influence in our world. And so you see God is saying, look, I'm there in that decision, and I know your future, and I know how to make your finances work out, but you've got to talk to me. And you've got to realize the priority and intentionality of my mission. He goes on, and he, and he talks about the, the, what happens, how this, how this uh, influence unfolds in the world. And he, and he quotes a, a psalm, Psalm number 112. It says, as it is written... They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. Now, you have to be careful with this verse, because it doesn't mean that because they've scattered their gifts, financial gifts, sowing the seed financially, this, this picture is all through Scripture, that they're righteous. It means because they're righteous, they sow their gifts. And they sow that gift into another person. And, and, and that seed grows, and the generosity of God, the love of God, the 100% of Jesus begins to grow, and they become sowers as well. 
And so they grow and they begin to sow. And that righteousness gets passed on one generation, one person to the next, one generation after the next. And righteousness endures because of people who are generous and are part of the mission, sowing the seed of God's word. And so this is a harvest. The harvest that we're talking about is not your finances, not my finances, that I'm going to get more in my pocket. The harvest is of righteousness. That more and more people would be part of where, what Jesus is calling people to do, and that is to be saved. That, that eternity would be, heaven would be bigger. More and more people, more and more people. It's a harvest of righteousness. Not our righteousness, not our goodness, but his goodness first that creates goodness in us, that creates growth and change and influence. He goes on to say, he said, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. In other words, hey, the person's doing the good work that's planned for them will be taken care of. He'll have not only things to eat, but also to sow, that actually he'll increase the supply of seed that you have to sow, not to keep, but to sow. Generous people have more to give away. And, and you know, that's not to keep. You know, it's not give a dollar and get 10 back. It's, it's give a dollar, give 10 back, but then give away everything you get. And, and it's this idea of generosity that he supplies seed and he enlarges the harvest of righteousness, your righteousness. Not because you're the goodness, but because of God's goodness working in you, because you've been influenced. Because the seed of God's word has grown in your heart and produced a crop that's 30, 60, or 100-fold. He goes on to say, You'll be enriched. He wants to make sure that we know we're taken care of. You're going to be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That, that you'll be able to, to respond to needs whenever they come up, at least some way. You know, we think sometimes that that's in a big way, and sometimes it's just in a small way that we're responding. Sometimes it's checking in on Facebook. Sometimes it's a few dollars given to this or wherever it might be. But the idea is that your heart is open and not callously closed because you think you need to hold on to everything for yourself. And I love the idea here because this shows you he's talking about money. He says, and through us, through us. In other words, that money, that seed is being transmitted to Paul to give to another church. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Worship comes when people see the generosity of God. Worship springs forth when they see the reality of his character at work in us and demonstrated by us. He continues that thought as we wrap this up. He says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, people are thanking God because of the generosity of the church in Corinth. They've seen the character of God. They've seen the generous nature of God. And so for us, we have to wrestle. How much will we keep? How much will we give? How much will we sow? There's always got to be freedom and joy in that decision. Paul, he, he, he wraps this whole section up. He says, look, just so you remember the gift that you've been given, the 100% of Jesus, he says, look, thanks be to God for his, this, his indescribable gift. 
That's Jesus. The indescribable gift is Jesus. In other words, words can't even, there's not words to describe the 100% of what Jesus has done for us. Now, the challenge for us as a church is talking about this issue of money. It's always sensitive. It's always difficult. But I want you to hear, I want to review very clearly with you, freedom and joy in this decision. Freedom and joy. That, that we, would, we would all recognize the most important thing that God wants to do is to work in your heart. That the seed of God's word is planted in your heart. And if, and if you're not experiencing freedom and joy in giving, you've got to go back and, and get that seed planted again and again and again until it begins to grow and produce fruit. Last week, we shared with you this diagram, and I think every one of you got one of these little brochures. One too far. And this diagram is just a picture of progressively being more intentional about giving. The, the goal would be that, that we would all at some point say, hey, I'm going to be intentional. I'm at least going to reach that level of just I'm going to consistently set aside and be an intentional giver. But for some of us, we've been doing that for a while. Maybe we're tithing. Maybe we could go beyond a tithe. The key is not this chart. The key is your heart. And, and the relationship you have with God and that you're talking with him and that you're asking him to guide you and you're listening and you're taking steps according to that direction. There'll be no step you take in giving, no step at all, ever, that you're going to immediately shout with joy about, I don't think. I've never seen it happen. It's what happens when you start it in a few weeks or months and you see what God does. That's where you'll see the joy. The good news is that there's never any guilt supposed to be associated with this. It's, it's whatever you decide in your heart. And that, that determines, that's determined by the condition of your heart and your understanding of what God has done for you. That's the priority. It's not this chart, it's your heart. But I do want to give you the assignment. I want you to take this little brochure home and spend some time with it this week, because next week we're going to have a chance to commit, to take a step and commit as a church to sowing. And what I want to see in the weeks to come is just absolutely hilariously joyful people about those decisions. See, because God gave us 100% through his son, Jesus. Maybe you've seen this picture and this saying, you know, that though you can easily count the seeds in an apple, it's impossible to count the apples in a seed. Right? Think about it. Average apple has five seeds. Average tree has 300 apples in a season. That's 1,500 seeds that produce another 45 100 apples, which produce 2.25 million seeds. You get the idea. Called exponential multiplication. That's what God wants to do in the life of our church, in all churches, in his, for his mission. And you know, I don't, I don't think we always get to see the fruit. We don't think we're always part of the harvest. But I know one day, one day we will know. As, as you're in heaven, there will be people come up to you and say, thank you for sowing into my life. 
Thank you for giving to our church, to Trinity Church. They'll say, you don't, you don't realize it, but it was my great-grandfather who, who, who attended back in 2019. And my great-grandfather had changed the trajectory of our entire family, and now we're going to see generations in heaven together because of your generosity. And when Jesus talks about storing up treasure in heaven, I'm pretty sure that's what he's talking about. Because that's the only thing that's going to mean anything. Because everything else is taken care of. So, this week, spend some time with God. Say, God, I'm, I'm, I want to be a joyful, cheerful giver. I know I have great freedom in this. Help me make that choice. You know my future. You know the plans that you have for me. And come back next week. Just be ready to say, I am going to commit to sow seeds for the mission. I'm going to use the gifts of God for the mission of God so that we can be a, a congregation that puts a priority and, and, a, and a very, very intentional nature so that we can have influence, expanding influence in this world. I pray that we together would be on that journey, that together we would sow seeds that change the world. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the gift of your truth and all it represents to us, the seed of a knowledge of the truth that's planted every time we open up your word, every time we hear it or sing it, we pray would grow in our hearts and lives, that it'd produce a crop 30, 60, 100 fold, that we'd be able to be sowers then of that, of that word into the world, into hearts. Lord, that there'd be just a multiplying, incredible result, a, a harvest of righteousness that we can we, we can't even imagine this side of heaven. Lord, uh, stir us up. Lord, show us the freedom we have. Show, show us that, that uh, there's, there's joy in giving. Help us experience that. Lord, that we can be the church. We can be a church that changes lives, has influence on lives, has influence on communities and this world. Lord, we are here to be your servants. Thank you for the 100% gift of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.